This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. But now, officially, Dr. Mark Westfall joins us for the segment that we generally do once a month, but we have missed some time. We skipped a month. Yeah. I skipped a month. You, it was, yeah, thanks, it was, thanks it was, for helping me. I mean, you know, bearing with me on that of course. month off. No problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. No problem. Um, yeah, so let's talk about what we're going to be talking about tonight. Well, so, you know, I'm actually I'm doing a talk um, in a week down at um, Destin for Massive Medical Association, State of Alabama. Yeah. <clears throat> they have uh, lectures on controlled substances and how to prescribe them appropriately because it's such an issue. People need uh, that lecture. Yeah, well, and the lecture is to physicians and nurses and nurse practitioners. Yeah. About and, and it's mandated. You have to go to at least one of these. So it's a um, audience that has to be there. So it's nice because yeah. you're insured of having an audience. Um, anyway, so I'm giving a talk on addiction, and I thought, you know, it's it's probably a good idea to circle back around on that. We covered this a couple years ago. Um, but there's some pretty interesting developments that I thought I'd bring up. And so we'll yeah. kind of we'll start the groundwork for people that didn't listen a couple years ago and build up to what's kind of on the cutting edge now, which is pretty exciting and pretty fascinating with, with the whole addiction process and what's going on in the brain. Yep. But uh, so, yes, I, I, I sent you guys some videos. Yes, and, you did. And uh, I'm going to try to describe some of these videos to the folks listening. And I encourage them to go to YouTube and search, and I can give them – keywords uh to search for these for themselves and one of these videos was uh so old it must have predated editing equipment because i I kept thinking this is a seven minute long video but there's only two minutes worth of material in the video was that the rat one or the next one? the first rat one about the hungry rat and the yeah and what's funny is i'm watching a ton of dog training videos right now because Uh of pig and i kept seeing so many similarities between what that rat was doing and learning whatever yeah, yeah. and what you have to do yeah, with a puppy. It, the, that video was from the 40s, 50s, um, and it was just <sighs> talks about mo- animal motivation and reward and how you know how to train an animal to do something. It's and really it very basic. to how long the attention span was in the 40s or 50s. It was amazing. Yes, <laughs> so people had to watch it a long time. You can, you can imagine would. sitting in class and watching a seven-minute video yeah. that your science professor showing, like, oh, my gosh, right. this is so boring. Yeah, yeah. Predated so, MTV in the three-second cut. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so the interesting thing about that video was that two rats, one was very well-fed and stuffed and you know, uh, Satiated. full. Yeah, and the other one was really hungry. It had no food, and they put them in two identical things next to each other. Uh, one and both, they could hit this lever and get a reward, which was a pellet of food. Right. The but one they didn't was, know that. They, they didn't, didn't know, know that. Yeah, but the one that was completely full just didn't care. He just went to sleep, just took a yeah, nap, like whatever. And the other one's like freaking out until it figures out the basically the. Yeah, he's exploring lever. his surroundings. Mm-hmm. You know, he's motivated to find something to eat. He's hungry. I mean, they probably hadn't fed him in a couple of days, right? right. He was really, he was looking around something in here. I mean, it's a med- metal cage. What's edible? Nothing. And he happens to stumble upon a lever, and a pellet, food pellet comes out. He eats the pellet. He doesn't know what he did, so it, but he concentrates his search now in that general area. Mm-hmm. So they've already changed his behavior to look in the certain area, and he eventually does it again and again, and eventually learns, oh, tap it, food, tap yeah. food. And the other guy on the other side of the cage is still laying there seven minutes later, hadn't, looked, hadn't found anything, right? The funny it, thing was not the, motivated. The one that figured it out uh, was initially he thought he had to not just push it down, but put his head through it and do this like way too complicated process. And then eventually figured out the quicker process of just doing it with his hand. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He, he went through the same mechanisms that he went 
they stumbled upon it. Yeah. Half of which didn't have any meaning. Uh, you know what but, I was so impressed with is how uh, that rat demonstrated that apparently rats uh, don't just sit around and mope and feel sorry for themselves. He he just immediately got to work. He got to work right yeah. away. He didn't, you know, Busy rat. So. so if you want to look at that video, it's, uh, search on YouTube, Hungry Rat 1948, and you'll find that video. There it is. Okay. Yeah. So that's the basic video of the time. I wanted to kind of give an example of what was going on in that time period. So yeah. in the 50s, you have the the really beginnings of behaviorism, trying to dissect what is going on for any given behavior. And there was this movement from psychoanalysis mm-hmm. and all of it's about, you know, uh, your mother and what's happened to you in life and trying right. to figure out why you do the things. And it's all happened to do with things in the past. And then you had these behavioral scientists who came in and said, no, it's all a matter of neuron connections. Yeah. It's all a matter. I mean, it's what you stumble upon. It's what you're rewarded or not rewarded to do. And they were saying, you could give me any child and I can turn them into any kind of person I want to turn them into if I put them in a certain environment. And so it swung, the pendulum just swung yeah. to this whole everything's about what you come across in life and can be trained. Um, as we now know, it's somewhere in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were too far on the extreme about behavioral uh, training. But it's fascinating to watch, and it really is. Um, there are still some uh, really important scientific observations that were made during that time by watching animals do things. And they sat there for hours and watched these animals just do nothing or count how many times they tapped the lever and learned a lot of things about how behaviors are developed. Yeah. So the first one is just about animal behaviors. The second one really is about uh, the first studies in uh, addiction. Yeah, and, and using humans. Well, so, well, first of all, mm-hmm. it's, okay, yes, they used uh, humans. Right. That's right. Heath and Tulane put um, electronic probes in humans, but before that, they yeah. put it in a rat. Yes. Um, they did, did do the rats first. Neither subjects probably were humane, but that's why <laughs> they did it. So, um, but they put an electrode into a rat's brain uh, down into a place called the nucleus accumbens. It's a, it's a nucleus of cells deep in the brain. It's in the emotional part of the brain. And they put the, um, the electrode in there. And when the animal tapped the levers, the lever in the, the Skinner box, it, it, most people know what a Skinner box yeah. is. It's a, it's a box that B.F. Skinner came up with. This, he was a behavioralist to study behavior by putting them in a, in a sterile cage and having a lever. You can count how many times they tap the lever. You give them a certain reward. The more rewarding the stimulus, the more times they tap the lever. And you can measure how rewarding it is to their brain by how many times they tap the lever. So if you give them a pellet of food, tap it 10 times. You give them a gram of cocaine, and they tap it 100 times. Mm -hmm. So, And their their reductionistic thinking was, oh, they like cocaine 10 times more than they like food. Right. Okay. So it's just a scientific way to observe a behavior in an animal. So what they did was put them in a Skinner box, but in this case, when they tap the lever it actually sent a signal through that electrode that's going down into their brain and, and stimulated this nucleus accumbens. Gave okay. them like a, pl- well, a little some jolt. kind of something. It stimulated that neuron. Right. That, that so group of neurons. It's so crazy to me that they could pinpoint that place in the well, brain on the rat. rat brains are much more simple than uh, okay. human brains, okay. which is why they chose rats. But you're right. How can they pinpoint it? And they missed a few times, but they learned when they missed so that's the whole part about science. They'd learn, right. well, this area does something else. And this, but when they got it in this consistent area, they found a consistent behavior. And mm-hmm. that is when they tapped the lever, they seemed to like it, and they tapped it more and more and more. And when they compared it to, like, 
um, cocaine or food or water, they would tap the lever like they would have done if had it been a drug. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would just tap the lever like 200 times a minute. They'd tap that lever. Yeah. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Junkies. Give me. Then they would electrify a grid in the cage so that they'd have to cross an electrified grid to get to the lever. Many times, food or water won't even get them to cross the grid until right. they're really, really hungry. But this stimulation, they would just run right across the grid yeah. and tap the lever. And it was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. So from that came a principle called the dopamine pleasure principle. That uh, because we knew the nucleus accumbens was essentially a group of dopamine-mediating neurons. So those neurons talk to each other with dopamine. So they thought, okay, dopamine is the pleasure neurotransmitter. We've found the pleasure center in the brain. And now we just got to figure out what to do with it to help people who are depressed feel better or help people. We now know why people are addicted because the drugs stimulate the center. They feel good about it and they like it so much they will overcome any kind of obstacle to get it. And so, or like, start manufacturing orgasmatrons or whatever you want to do. Yeah, whatever yeah. you want to mm-hmm. do. But some, yes, exactly. Sure. So then Heath down in Tulane, the orgasmatron yeah. you're talking about, he put this same thing in adult, in humans. He put an electrode in the nucleus accumbens of a human, and right. they had a little box next to them. They could press a button to stimulate that, that you know, uh, yeah. group of Which neurons. I'm just going to say right now, the fact that that happened, happened decades ago and I can't go out and purchase one of those right now <laughs> is infuriating <laughs> and it amazing. Seemed, it seemed like a crazy experiment that they were doing in the video, and because of the girl's response oh, to yeah. it, it seemed also way too racy. For even just her just describing it, and like how the has, feeling for yeah. me felt like, wait yeah. a minute. She called it the sexy button. The yeah. sexy right. button. Yeah. How has that not become commercialized to where every human being just has one of those? And we would guy, get nothing done. The scientist was exactly. like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was a little dry. Yeah, he? He, was like, yeah oh, he was like, hey, what's going on? Uh-huh. What do you call that one? Well, I kind of call it the, the sexy button. <laughs> she had a strange voice. Well, she let's, an let's, odd affect. Yeah. Let's take yeah. a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the sexy button. <laughs> we're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. Um, so we're talking about addiction, among other things. When we last were talking, it was about this video that was made in what year? This one was in the 50s. Uh, and this last one, if you want to search it on YouTube, it's a little long. But brain mechanisms of pleasure and addiction. That'll take you right to it. Okay. <laughs> um, and they had put this electrode... So they put, yeah, an electrode in the brain of a rat. This, oh, yeah, but of the girl. And a girl. And she was right. talking about, yeah, it was like her sexy button thing. Yeah, yeah. So they put an electrode. Heath down at Tulane put an electrode. It was controversial now, and even at the time. But um, put an electrode in her brain. She was apparently severely depressed, and he was trying to treat her depression by stimulating the pleasure center. Mm. People who are depressed often have what we call anhedonia. Hedonism, we know what that is. The movie Annie Hall is based on the word anhedonia. That's where the that. title for Annie Look Hall comes from. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So anhedonia is lack of pleasure. It's and the opposite of hedonism. Yeah. When mm-hmm. people are, are depressed, they really it's an inability to feel pleasure. It's a very uh, distinct place that pe- people's brain goes, um, and uh, it can affect the way you think um, as far as like even how you process things. I had a patient the other day who said, you know, I, I just can't, I can't think. Yeah. I'm not sad. I just can't think. And everything seems gloomy. Uh, it's a very, it's like a veil over your, your brain. Um, people describe it like, like thinking in molasses. Everything yeah. is just slowed and no motivation and no drive. So the thought is, okay, if we've had a pleasure center, we stimulate that, people are going to feel better. So that's what, he, that's what Heath was trying at Tulane. Um, is this in, in any 50s. way tied now to uh, them treating PTSD with ecstasy? 
Well, so great question. Um, I know that you're not. That's yeah, not your no, specialty, that's a great but. question because yeah, they're they're trying to treat. So in that case, close. Um, this uh, nucleus accumbens is close to the amygdala. The amygdala is what you're talking about for PTSD. That's the alarm center, okay, the anxiety center. Okay. Whereas nucleus accumbens is the pleasure center. So what they're trying to stimulate with um, when they're treating PTSD are things that calm the anxiety, okay? And often it is a feeling of pleasure or, or awe, A-W-E, um, but it's a, they're, they're trying to, to calm a different but very close um, nucleus of, of neurons uh, called the, uh, the amygdala. So okay. what we have deep in the brain, and, and this is in all animals, that's why they can study rats, okay? Because this, the deeper part of our brain has some of our core emotions um, that essentially you can find in a lot of the animal species. A lot of animals have rage. They have uh, what appears to be sadness. They have what appears to be pleasure. Um, and so that's why they were studying the rats to try to get just the basics because what the rats don't have that, that causes a lot of complication is a cortex or outer part of the brain where, where we think. Right. And so their actions aren't complicated by thought. It's just mostly mediated by emotion. And so that's where the behavioralists kind of got off track because they were thinking everything's just a, uh, you know, I can train anything. Well, yeah, if you don't have a cortex, right. you can. If you're not thinking in a way that interferes with just the raw emotion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So people do think, and they can affect those, those very um, uh, core emotions by yeah. what they think, which is where, after all this, the behavioralism came out. Another couple of decades down the road, what, what's called cognitive therapy mm-hmm. came out, and that was another psychology movement where they said, wait, we can change how you feel if we change what you think. Right. So uh, we keep moving along. It's fascinating. That's yeah. why I kind of like going back to the early, early videos to see where we came from and where we are now. And, of course, we go back to these you know, controversial things that were done in the 50s, but I just listened to a podcast episode the other day about the ways in which deep uh, brain stimulation is, is being used in this very age to you know, treat depression. Beautiful. Well, so what they're doing, deep brain stimulation, yeah. what you're talking about, um, it is currently used predominantly for Parkinson's disease. Right. Very, very effective. Right. So they put an electrode like the thickness of a hair. Mm-hmm into the area where the um, problem is with dop- with um, Parkinson's disease. It yeah. also is dopamine, by the way. Yeah. And by turning on that electrode, th- they essentially, the person has a like a little... Um, uh, little control box. Control yeah. box mm-hmm. under yeah. their skin that the neurologist can adjust uh, with, a, with a remote control and increase or decrease the amount of electricity through that tiny little hair-like yeah. electrode. And it will... By stimulating, by turning that electrode, it turns off the neurons in that area. Long story short, it turns off some neurons that seem to be inhibiting movement for people with Parkinson's. And so movements that were short and stiff and and kind of uh, shaky now become smooth again. And so uh, it's like, I mean, they come out of surgery and uh, within a little bit of recovery, they turn it up and... Here we are. But they Dial can, it suddenly in. their tremors go from severe to hardly noticeable. Remarkable. Where is this in the testing? And no, it's actually used. On the, it it's is, being used. It is it's FDA approved. Oh, yeah. I have multiple patients who've had that surgery. And you know Tourette's syndrome actually, also? you've had yeah. a patient on your show who had that surgery. He and his wife were here. Yeah. And he had had the surgery uh, on both sides. They have mm-hmm. to do it on both sides of the brain if the symptoms are bad enough. So that's two, two neurosurgeries. Mike? No. no. No, it was okay. um, 
we'll come to a minute. We'll take but yeah, yeah. so yeah. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, no, it, this is standard treatment now for some people with Parkinson's disease. And I read a but, book about Tourette's syndrome where a fellow was basically cured. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now what we're looking, what, what people are looking for is how to apply that possibly to things like depression, right. and OCD, maybe addiction. And so moving back to the addiction thing. Yeah. So um, when uh, the dopamine pleasure principle, go back to that for a second. In the 50s, we found the dopamine in the nucleus accumbens. We now know what's going on. People have so much pleasure doing drugs that they just forego everything to go have pleasure, right? right? And that has continued in many people's minds until today, even. It's mm-hmm. fascinating to me how science takes a while to trickle down, even in the scientific community. Yeah. Because in the 80s and 90s, a study was done that uh, essentially disputed that, which mm-hmm. I'm going to move into here in a minute. Okay, you yeah. want to take a break? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Let's take yeah, a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we will touch on that. Hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. All right, so we're going to talk about uh, experiments in the 80s, right? And yeah, yeah. So the 80s and 90s, we were talking about the dopamine pleasure hypothesis, and that essentially got challenged in the 80s and 90s. And this uh, group's theories are the first things I've read. And it, although it was done in the 80s and 90s, I didn't come across it until about five years ago. So, so to catch people up, if they're just doing it, like, really quick, what do you mean yeah. dopamine? Uh, what do you mean it got dopamine challenged? Pushed. Okay. Yeah. So the theory was that uh, what caused people to use substances was that they triggered the dopamine neurons in the nucleus accumbens, and that gives a sense of pleasure. And that pleasure outweighed anything else. And so people would continue to go back because it was so pleasurable, and they couldn't deny themselves of any other thing, and they'd lose jobs and families sure. and money and everything because it was so pleasurable. And this is potentially problematic because it lends itself to a narrative that suggests like a character flaw, like you're just selfish. You just care about pleasure. And if you were a responsible person, you Bingo. would quit doing this. Bingo. Okay. Exactly. Right. You perfectly said. Right. I mean, it was a seen as a character flaw. Right. Why can't you handle your pleasures? Everyone else can. Yeah. Why are you... You know, so Get taking the program, the pleasure. Yeah. stop that, being that so... That sounds really familiar to things I see on Facebook a lot, but go, go yeah, ahead. Exactly. <laughs> so, well... Like I said, I mean, this new theory was the first thing I'd heard that made sense for me with what I heard from people clinically who had substances. And I'll be honest with you, I had trouble wrapping my head around why people kept going back. I mean, I would see people in the hospital in horrible circumstances, and they would just be, yes, I'm never going to do this again. And, yeah, I've got it licked. And, you know, a month later, I see them, and they're like, yeah, well, here I am again. I'm like but you were so sure what happened. And it's frustrating for everybody. It's frustrating for them. It's frustrating for the treatment providers because it's like nothing seems to be changing. Boy, and I'll tell you, there are echoes here from my work in the domestic violence field. You know, people have such a hard time understanding why someone would continue to go back to an abusive partner. But, of course, once you learn about it, it's much more complex, and you can start to realize, like, okay, like it doesn't make sense on a rational level, but I can understand where. Well, this there is may be from. some overlap here. Sure. Now, that may yeah. be get too deep in, right. in that, but that's that's there may be some overlap yeah. with this mechanism I'm getting ready to describe. Okay, so, so in the 80s and 90s. So in the 80s and 90s, they said, okay, well, if it's dopamine, um, well, so they figured they found an expression of what they called liking something. Okay, how does a rat show that it likes something? Right. Any any guesses? It continues to try to do that thing. Yeah. So what if you give them something? to eat that they like. What do they do with their mouth? What do people do when they like something? Salivate. Yeah, and salivate. Mm-hmm. Right. They also, rats lick their lips a lot. Oh. Really? Mm-hmm. Gross. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, babies <laughs> do too. 
Okay, that's yeah. cute. That's yeah, cute. That's cute. Yeah. With babies, not so, with that. So licking your lips after you've had something sweet, you know, they'll kind of taste it again, kind of lick it again and lick it. That makes taste sense. It. Yeah. They like it. So um, that was their expression of liking. And they said, okay, so that's ple- that's an example of an outward expression of we pleasure. We can tell you liked it. We can tell you liked it. Yep. That was pleasurable. Okay. So if we block the dopamine neurons chemically, then you won't give that facial expression anymore when we give you something you like. Okay. So they blocked the dopamine neurons. And the rats continued to lick their lips and like something that they like, and they continued to not and mm. grimace their face in something sour that they didn't like. Right. So they continued to like something. So they're thinking, wait a minute, that looked pleasurable. But what didn't happen is they didn't go after it. Yeah, over obsessively. And over and over. And they didn't keep going uh, after it again. Hmm. Right. And they're like, well, wait a minute. So they, we think they liked it, but didn't crave it. In the true sign of liking, not licking your lips, but licking your fingers, Fing, finger licking. Same thing. Finger, finger licking, licking good. Yeah, there you go. Gross. <laughs> so they still did hey, some of the know, liking things. An but, entire yeah. empire of fried chicken made on that one statement. But they weren't craving it. Good. They didn't show signs of craving. They or did not go after it. They didn't tap behavior. the lever. They didn't go after it again. Right. Yeah. And so um, their theory, and what I'm putting forth to you today. Uh, based on that, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing their theory with you, is that there is, it's a complex um, set of circuits in our brain. One they call a wanting circuit. Mm. Now, this is not wanting like, hmm, I think I want an ice cream today. This is the take your cortex away, be a rat, yeah. and go after something like over a grid to tap a letter, a right. lever right. to get shocked in the nucleus accumbens, that kind of wanting. Just this strong desire. Strong desire. Got to have it. And so there's a wanting circuit. Compulsion almost. It's definitely a compulsion. Wanting circuit versus a liking circuit. Mm. And so when you first try something new or have an experience like uh, skydiving or a a drug, there's this euphoria that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And they've now found that that initial pleasure, that euphoria, is not dopamine-mediated. It's not the dopamine pleasure principle. Dopamine is the wanting center. Hmm. Pleasure is mediated through other neurotransmitters, including opioid transmitters, cannabinoid transmitters, yeah. and many others, glutamate transmitters. So liking is, is separate. Someone's exposed to something, it gives them this rush, and they like it. And what happens is that liking network makes a permanent change mm. in the dopamine wanting network. Mm, interesting. So the the, the so it visualization gets tied to a stronger compulsion. Kind yes. Of thing. So essentially, think of it this way: if if it's a survival mechanism, yeah. if um, if an animal finds food somewhere, mm-hmm. okay, and finds it pleasurable, it is a survival mechanism. If that brain imprints that you go for that place again, yeah. If there's an opportunity, right. Even if there's a cat in the room, you you need to get food. And so it drives them. The, the, the mouse is not thinking, huh, there's a cat, not evaluating. Right. It's all about impulses. It's emotional. It. I'm drawn to get the food, but I'm fearful of the cat. The amygdala, that part you talked about, the PTSD, yep. says avoid the cat. And the nucleus accumbens says go for the food. Which one is going to win? It's a balance. Right. Okay? If it's not too much fear, they'll go for the food. If too much fear, they won't go for the food. Yeah. It's a balance. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they came up with this uh, theory that there's – when you get exposed to something that's pleasurable, it permanently changes this drive or want. And that some people's 
drive or want, the dopamine uh, circuit gets hypersensitized. Mm. And those are people who are prone to addiction. Right. That once they're exposed to something that's pleasurable, it is like their drive, their want is 10, 20, 100 fold what the average person's want is. And they really, it's a compulsion. The, The image I give is, it's like putting someone on a walking sidewalk, okay? Yeah. And the the dopamine circuit is that moving sidewalk. And when you come across something pleasurable, it turns that moving sidewalk on. And even if you're not wanting to go to that substance, your dopamine circuit is taking you there. Yeah. And even, some people are more predisposed to people, have that kind of circuit running. That, exactly. That moving sidewalk rate. is faster for yeah. some than others. They can run away as fast as they can, but they can't Never outrun the moving sidewalk. Yeah, that's terrifying. So it is a, and it makes so much more sense to, to why the person says, I don't want, I don't outwardly want to do this anymore. Right. But then they find themselves doing it again. Can't And they do can't it. explain it. One of the reasons that happens, their circuit is on hyperdrive for sure. But one of the things that everybody's dopamine circuit is tied into are memories of the pleasurable event. Mm -hmm. There are visual cues. So like when the rat sees the cheese, then the compulsion to go eat the cheese is there. It doesn't just walk around with it all the time. Right. It is cued in part by visual cues. It's an instinct. Same thing happens for people who have addiction. And they'll tell you, you know, I was doing fine until I smelled something. Right. Or so not I, just visual, any sensory. Any input, kind of sensory. Right. Uh, any that you're associating. Even a person, yeah. a place, it can be, it, our brains are so complex. Yeah. Any kind of visual or sensory cue yeah. can turn that moving sidewalk back on. And before the end of that night, there they find go. themselves deep into it again. Even when they know that there's danger, when there's social. Even though the outer part of the brain yeah. says, well, this is not going to turn out well, that circuit is kicked in. It's too and bad. And they're, they're just driven to it. Yeah. There are people that seem to be just so have such an addictive personality quote unquote that you know they can become addicted to almost anything you got to be really careful and then there are other people and i will use myself as an example like skydiving right i would say that was somewhat of a dopamine addiction for me i still it's been let's see it has been a long time since i made a jump and i still dream about it very regularly um but like opioids, right? Any kind of like oxycodone or whatever, mm-hmm. I, boy, it just doesn't. It makes me feel weird, and I've just never had any kind of draw to that kind of stuff. So anyway, so I do think I have an addictive personality for some things, but it's not broad at all. Is that Does that make sense in what we're talking about here? It makes great sense. So, I mean, everybody has this mechanism in their brain, okay? This dopamine drive or compulsion to do things. So that's what makes us eat and drink food. I mean, eat food Luckily. And drink. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's what has you do those essential things to live. And so some people stimulate that system in various ways. And some people's system is more stimulatable than others. And we're, we're, being, we're still being reductionistic in my description, okay? Yeah. This is an amazingly complex network of interactions. That moving sidewalk I talked about has thousands of other inputs from different parts okay. of the brain. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's really complex. And there are, instead of one moving sidewalk, there's thousands of moving sidewalks. Maybe one is for opiates. Maybe one is for, you know, your experience with, you know, 
skydiving. I mean, it, it's it's reductionistic in order for us to really grasp it. Yeah. But then you have to expand that. That there's so many interactions between the the outer part of your thinking brain and your emotional center. Yeah. Um, and within the emotional center, so why people are driven to different chemicals, we don't really understand, or, oh, okay. or adrenaline things. I mean, we don't really understand what makes one person find one substance they're addicted to, another person have addiction to anything they come across, and other people to be addicted to their work gotcha. or their uh, skydiving. We don't understand why different things appeal to different people's um, compulsive dopamine track. But they do. But if we took out that dopamine track, which we could do in the Nucleus Cummins, yeah. all those people would stop going after all of those things. Yeah. Huh. So it's a common like gear they might still like those things, but they wouldn't have to exactly. do them. If they, if someone made you do them, you say, "Hey, that was fun," but yeah. you wouldn't be driven to do it. So, can we do this? Because I mean, back Why in are we the not 50s, doing that? we could tap into that girl's brain and make well, it go crazy. You and can, then, like, I mean, you could take out that part of the brain, but people become anergic and don't have any motivation to do anything. Okay, so so you couldn't do it on that electrode scale where you can with a remote control. Change that's it? a great question. So that brings us to the last. And the third video mm. that I sent you guys. Oh, which okay? is the only one. It's okay. Cole, Cole Kubrick so, is the problem. He called and I couldn't watch it. Optogenetics yeah. is a new type of uh, of neurophysiological uh, study. Okay, and if you want to search it on YouTube, look up Optogenetics 2010. Yep, and you'll see this video. So what what we've gotten to now, and this is fascinating because. I, I love this video because it's essentially the same video from 1948 where you've got a rat in a cage with this wire you can see going into his brain, okay? Yeah. But fast forward it by 60 years, we're still putting rats in a cage and putting stuff in their head. I mean, yeah. we haven't really progressed that far in the way we learn stuff. But, but now there's still like a Billy Corgan kind of theme here, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so now what we're doing, though, is they're taking – they found that there are certain organisms like bacteria – um, in in nature that respond to light, mm-hmm. the the movement cells in those um, algae is what they uh, say. Algae, the, right. algae on so the video. So I think she was from Britain or she whatever. must be. Yeah. So um, they have essentially motility cells that respond to light. In other words, it'll move that algae mm-hmm. towards light. It's like it's like a plant bending towards the light okay the light triggers something in the cell to do some kind of movement so it moves toward the light well they can take out that little um essentially it's a it's a um it's a channel that goes into the cell membrane okay so let's think now we got to talk about neurons for a second a neuron is a cell in your brain it can be as long as from the middle of your back down to your toe one cell or it can be as short as you know a micrometer. Teeny weeny, I think Teeny is the weeny. Yeah, technical but term. E- every yeah. cell uh, talks to the next cell via electricity yeah. and chemicals. And the electricity occurs because your cell has, uh, in the walls of the cell, it has a pump that pumps out ions. So, like positively charged. Um, ions. Are you outside telling me that chemistry class was actually useful? Yes. That's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. So it's like a battery. You yeah. got the positive pole and the negative pole. Mm-hmm. The neurons do that. They pump out positive ions on the outside, holding the negative ones on the inside, or vice versa. And then, so those 
those um, positively charged particles yeah. really want to get into those negatively charged particles. When a gate opens in the cell wall, they rush through that gate to get into the negatively yeah. charged inside. Okay, that conducts electricity, mm. and that happens down the length of the cell to its next cell neighbor. Okay, very quickly. That's called very quickly. Very quickly. That's called depolarization. Mm-hmm. You have poles; they now become depolarized the yep. cells. Okay, that gate that lets in those ions in algae is sensitive to light. It only opens when light is shining on it, okay? So when you shine light on that cell, the gate opens, the ions rush in and cause electrical current to begin going down the cell. Which so, causes movement. Which causes movement. So essentially you can stimulate the nerve cell. If you, well, if you take that, that channel that's sensitive to light and insert it into a nerve cell, now when I shine light on that nerve cell, that nerve cell will trigger. Yeah. Okay, so they do that in a rat, and they put it, let's say, in the part of the brain that teaches its muscles to move, and you can make a rat walk in circles by shining light on its brain. Can I say what my favorite part of the video was? Was the worm who was interrupted in his, and I'm quoting, workout. <laughs> There's a little worm who's doing like a little, and they call it a workout, uh-huh. and then they flash a yellow light, and he, and stops. he stops. Yeah. Hmm, I was about to, by the way, explain all of that to <laughs> listeners. You just you just went ahead and did it in front of me, but that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So, so this the, is fascinating because so in theory, if you do this, then you could start to use light to control someone's brain. Right. And the, so, they, so the video shows controlling a rat's brain with yeah. light. They shine uh, a little fiber optic light into its brain. They've inserted these little light-sensitive gates into yeah. their nerve cells only in one little area of the brain. When the light comes on, only those nerve cells respond, and they get a response. The difference in what this can do is if they can be specific enough, yeah. they could just trigger one neuron to fire. Which is crazy. Whereas what we do, even like with the deep brain stimulator, you're, you're, you're putting it into a region. Yeah. Okay, You can't just turn on one nerve cell. So the optogenetics, what they're doing currently with it is studying at a more fine level which circuits are causing what. So now, for instance, back into the dopamine circuit, now if if they can get it right where they want it in that dopamine circuit, they might can turn just a few neurons on or off and change the behavior just for that one kind of activity. So they can become much more specific as opposed to just a jolt of electricity or taking out the entire... You know, nucleus of cells. Did they just get that idea from what I said at the they did, about yeah. ten minutes they just ago? Called, okay. yeah. So we could Makes either sense. do all of this optogenetics work or just properly regulate the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, one or the other. Mm, I think that would handle a, one or the other. Some of the problem. I don't think that. What would handle the pharmaceutical all. industry? Yeah. yeah, that would help a lot. Right. Help but a, a ton. but for yeah. people who struggle with addiction, there's people who are addicted to sure. gambling, addicted to sex. I mean, there's a lot of things people are addicted to. Yeah. And what we're what, probably what we're going towards is not putting a light in people's head. That's right. not going to work. But by the optogenetics, we can study the exact circuits and can figure out where to put the deep brain stimulator. So what I envision happening, I think they're already looking at it, is putting a deep brain stimulator, just like they already do for Parkinson's, right. into the nucleus accumbens so that someone can turn up that electrical charge 
when they're craving something, when they come across something and they say, well, I'm really craving it. Turn it off. They can turn off the craving. Yeah. I think that I think we'll really get there. I mean, that's not like too futuristic. They're really moving in that direction. And a lot of studies already been done, and I think it's really a hopeful future for addiction. I haven't seen it yet, but I expect what you just talked about to be on episode four of Years and Years on I was going to say, let me go watch Black Mirror, and I'll tell yeah. you if, it, if that happens or not. <laughs> These are futuristic shows there for people. That yeah, don't just know. like very, like just five years in the future kind That's of right. futuristic yeah, shows. I think we're headed there. Yep. Great stuff. Man, Dr. Mark's, Mark Westfall, that's one of the more interesting ones we've done. I really think so. Thanks. Yeah, well. yeah of course. Um, boy, in the videos again, is it uh, really quickly that last okay. one especially? So Let's talk about YouTube the last videos, one. three of them. Hungry Rat, 1948. Okay. Brain Mechanism of Pleasure and Addiction and Optogenetics 2010. There you go. Optogenetics 2010. 2010. That's the year they got the award. Watch that working out worm. Yeah, the working out mm-hmm. worm. Yeah. Good stuff. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio. 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter, at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs>